standing aid is brought to you by Elite Home Improvements. EHI Australia is the home of Ample Mass Security Screen Products. Feel safe at home. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Standing 8. I'm Paul Fitzgerald and I'm joined by my co-host, three-time world champion and boxing hall of famer Jeff Fennick. Thank you, Paul. And the voice of Australian boxing, Ben Damon. Thank you very much, Paul. And we've got a special guest here today as well in Graham Abbo-Henry, uh, I guess a notorious underworld figure. You don't mind us uh, calling well, you that. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. sugarcoating it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, your nickname's Abbo, probably not a palatable nickname at this no, day and age. Not um, but no, no. Uh, for you, we're changing to, to Graham Aboriginal Henry. Okay, yeah. Maddie, Maddie Rose, or Corey, <laughs> just <laughs> Aboriginal Jeff, not Abbo, <laughs> Aboriginal. So yeah, yeah. Speak to you, Maddie. But um, fascinating that you found out you're in fact of Indigenous heritage at the age of sixty-eight. Yes. What was that process like for you, um, particularly given that you've been known as Abbo all your life? Yeah, yeah, it was quite funny, really. I mean, I was nicknamed that at the age of about fourteen. They called me Sambo first off. I wasn't very happy with the nickname no. Sambo, so. It was like I wanted to shine their shoes or something. So I said, mate, pull up on that. So anyway, it ended up Abbo and, you know, I had the skinny legs, the flat nose, the, you know, the dark skin and uh, I just ran with it. But it's funny, I always felt that I was never really part of the family. I looked a little bit different. They all had pointy noses and, you know, but, you know, I just ran along with it all my life. And that, But it, all my Aboriginal friends that I knew and grew up with over the years through Redfern and, all of those louts around there, that they, they always said to me, you know, we, we can't believe that you you don't know you're Aboriginal. We know you are, <laughs> you know. But then when my sister died about four or five years ago, uh, she told me the secret on the on, on a deathbed. And uh, uh, since then I've uh, joined with the um, Wabakal people up there at um, around the Newcastle area, Lake Macquarie, and, um, and they've become uh, very good friends of mine actually. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's good to name me Heritage, but, uh, you know, I don't get involved in all the politics of it. Um, did you, you said you didn't really feel like part of the family. Um, yeah. That was made pretty clear to you from what I've heard about your story by your father. Do you yeah. think that had a lot to do with well, it? Well, I think that my father, you know, look, when I look back now, I mean, I used to hate my father. But uh, as I grew older, I realised, you know, I mean, the man come home from fighting four or five years at the war. Yeah in Syria in the Middle East against the Germans and then <clears throat> he was injured in the war and then he was hooked on uh, painkillers. When he came home, he went to knock on his first wife's door and uh, another man answered the door. So he left He left that family and uh, he uh, then he met my mother and married her. I mean, my mother only had one leg, you know, she lost it at the age of 10. It was cut off way above her knee up here. And uh, you know, but he was he was absolutely brutal to her. I don't mean he slapped her and threw her up against the wall or choked her. He he punched her like a prize fighter would punch another fighter. You know, so you know he he took the wind out of me as a young bloke. I think, and and I think I I was a little bit insecure because of it. You know, as I grew up, and I uh, you know it took me until I was about twenty, I think, to really regain. Himself. Well, he tried to kill you, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he tried to kill me with a garden mattock when I was about 15, 15 or 16 years of age. And I used to, I won this thing at an amateur boxing tournament. I had a big tray. And uh, that's all you'd win in those days a tray or a tie pin or a tie, some George Lee Club or whatever it was you fought at, you know. So I had this tray and had it on the bottom of the ground. And I used to put it on the bottom of the floor. And uh, we also had a few burglars come to that house, so I always had it there for that reason as well. But that, there was a steel plectrum that my mother used to use for an Hawaiian katai. You know, you slide it up yeah. and down, gives that Hawaiian sound. So I used to put it on the no door handle. And this night he was driving us mad with his mouth organ and, and you know, he'd already abused me mother and carried on like a pork chop. So I told him to shove it up his backside and... I shut the door. Anyway, I seen him walk out the hallway as I as I was shutting it, and he just gave me the filthiest look. And for just for some reason, this awareness I've always had in me, I put this tray down on the floor and 
put the steel thing up on the door and it moved about that far before it fell, you know. Well, it hit the floor and then next one I just looked up and seen him coming at me so I rolled out of the bed. When I looked back I just knew he'd done something so I hightailed it out of the bed. I was terrified of him. And um, <clears throat> it wasn't long after that I came home and I found blood all through the kitchen like I'm talking in clots, you know, lumps of it. And I went, I'm screaming out to my mother, where are you, Mum, where are you? And she wouldn't, she didn't want to answer me, you know, because she yeah. knew I'd blow up. So yeah. she was under the house, hiding under the house. And I was sort of in and out of the house because I lived on the streets most of the time to get out away from the violence, you know. But I ended up uh, running in and finding her under the house as I said, she only had one leg, but she was a tough lady, you know. She had plenty of go in her. So I just lost it and ran up the stairs and they slept in different bedrooms. So he jammed up all the – he must have known I was going to come home or I don't know what it was, but he jammed up the room for some reason so he couldn't get in. So I <clears> smashed <throat> the door in and pulled him out of the bed, punched the living daylights out of him and then I ran up the hallway, come back with a barbecue fork and stuck the barbecue fork in his chest, his neck, his – Everywhere, my mother stopped me. Like I, I sort of, I was a bit shocked about it. I thought, what would you stop me for? I should have killed the bastard. He'd been bashing you all your life, you know. And um, he um, he never gave me up. He never said nothing. I broke his jaw and all his ribs and fixed up his holes anyway. He came home a few days later from the ride hospital and he had all his war medals up on the up on the table and there were a note with it and it said, take Take one of these for every bone you broke in my body. So I just run in the room, picked them at him and shoved them at him. Were there enough medals there? I said, oh, yeah, so I said <laughs> you didn't deserve them, mate. You know, which was a shit thing yeah. to say, but of course he deserved it, you know. But uh, not for what he did to her, you know. We treated her terrible. But as I say, he went through plenty. He came up hard, he, you know, and that's how it was. And that, it was the first hatred I had towards the police because... I used to come to the house and, uh, you know, someone would ring up, the neighbours or something like that, and they'd say, you know, uh, look, mate, they'd pull him outside <coughs> and they'd say, just keep the noise down. Mm. You know what I mean? She, yeah. My mother would be in there covered in blood. And, yeah. <coughs> um, you know, I didn't – that was my first hatred towards them. I thought, anyway, let's let's get down to talking about the, the Graham, Admiral Henry, you all want to know. One that <laughs> had, the, had the green light, had his, an amazing association with Arthur and Eddie Smith. How was yeah, it? Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's what I'm, I think I'm more known for than all of that. I think, yeah. Look, I, I met Nettie Smith in uh, Parramatta Jail in 1973. Uh, he was a towering of a man. He was about six foot six, massive shoulders on him, very fit, had a very big reputation that he could, you know, fight like this thrashing machine, and uh, which I found out later was. You know, not really up to his standard, but but it, he he could he could uh, he was a very tough bloke, and uh, I remember shaking his hands a couple of times. It's about another another fist of mine. He had hands, massive yeah. hands, crazily big. Yeah, he's he's big very big in it, man. But he used to sort of punch funny. He he sort of punched short, and he wasn't. I wouldn't what I'd call a powerful fighter, you know, but, but a bloke called Billy Harrison who's fought, you know, and yeah. a very tough bloke, get there, there at the Billy Tracy's mate and all yeah. them. They, he, he actually taught Ned how to hold his hands up. And um, But, uh, look, I met him in there and then I was released in 1976 and uh, I ran into him at the Governor Burke Hotel and uh, he'd just been pinched on an armed robbery and was out on bail and his mate was locked up. I thought that was a bit strange. Uh, his mate, mate's name was Bobby Chapman, Robert Chapman, mm -hmm. and a very tough bloke too. So I uh, started to ask around a few things and everyone said, oh, he's telling on people. He's, you know, he's informing to the police. He's given evidence and the other bloke's locked up and, you know, I found it a little bit hard to believe because he was such a big, you know, strong so, sort of So bloke. way back at the start? Yeah, way back then, mate. Wow. 1976. So that's wow. his first contact with the police really, you know, and then he did business with them. Rogerson even, Detective Roger Rogerson arrested him at the police station when he went to report one night, which I showed on Blue Murder, and uh, he, he procured him from there on in. 
him and Ned became very close and he always turned up wherever Ned was. Well, be, being a young bloke that I was coming from the streets and running my own, like, gangs and, you know, and running around on the streets and being a sharpie and all that sort of nonsense, you know, coming from that sort of background that I come from and we all stuck together like glue and and loyalty was everything to me, you know, your principles and your loyalty are, Everything, it's all you got. It's your street cred and it's your, you know. And uh, I remember just thinking, no, I can't be right about him, you know. So anyway, I started running with him and then we even went around that night trying to raise bail for him. But when I when, when I look back now, I can see it was all just part of the ploy, you know. But, um, you know, anyway, we became good friends and, and as I said to him, I said, look, your enemies aren't my enemies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you've got enemies, Bobby's your enemy, then his friends, that doesn't mean they're mine. You know what I mean? Was, so, he, was he good with that? No. No, he wasn't happy with that at all. But but as we progressed and then started, then he said to me, look, the police have helped me out here and I can virtually do what I want to do. Now, this is long before 1983 when he took um, – uh, Warren Land Frenchy down Dangar Place and he was shot dead. So he was pretty sweet with them then, mate. You know what I mean? So he said, I can do anything I like. I said, well, if you can do anything you like, I'll put a team together and we'll and, and we'll do it. You just get the protection. I'll, I'll get the. I'll organise the crimes. That's what I do. I'm good at it. Yeah. You know? And the bulk of those and, were. You know, I mean, some people are plumbers and drainers and workers. I'm, I was good at what I did. And the bulk you know, of those were payroll robberies? Yeah, right, you know, robberies, uh, you know, payroll robberies in those days and then it progressed to armoured trucks and then, you know, all sorts of things, you know. See, but uh, You were pretty much the brains behind those. Well, I was the organiser. Organiser. Uh, you know, I was the one who did all the homework and yep. his job was to just get the police on side. And then when we started to do that, then we, you know, we started mingling with other Gangs like Mickle Hurley's gang, who, mm-hmm. who were a band of thieves. They weren't gangsters; they were professional thieves, and the, and they were the best of the best. Some some of the old team members were even part of the old Kangaroo gang that he got around with. You know, they was old safe blowers, and but then they, you know, then drugs come into it, and they became a different team altogether. They started importing drugs, and in the end, went to jail for it, and then he died. And, his mate, unfortunately, Lizzie Mara got 13 years mm, for him. Lizzie, great rugby league player. Yeah. Great, great rugby yeah. league player, and a great guy. I like, you know, I've known, I've, I've known Liz since I was a young boy, and I didn't think that he was ever involved in any of that stuff. We don't know all that stuff, and you, know, you can be guilty by association. But as a human, um, Liz is a, an amazing, an amazing, amazing man. Yes. Yes. Oh, hundred percent. Love him to death. I love him a rock. Very you know. Well. Um, with regards to Nettie Smith, when did it really start to turn sour between the pair of you? And was that inevitable? Do you think is is that sort of the case? When well, uh, I just think he was he, he was just a bit jealous by nature, Ned. You know, and 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 I guess when when there was just him and me running around and a few other people here and there that we'd get get around with, we, we, we were as you know like thick as thieves, exactly Pretty right. Me. You know, and uh, we did everything together. We you know. I'd back my back against his back and we'd fight all comers, you know, and uh, we did everything all the time together, everything. Graham, you told me a great story one day that you were in a, in a room where um, Dale Christopher Flannery was and uh, you, you you walked in and Nettie was there and Nettie just about walked out and left you there. Can, can you tell us that story? Oh, that was the day of the, the units. That's when they were trying to plan to kill me. That was... <clears throat> that sort of gets into a long story where that, that really came from the shooting of Michael Drury and um, they needed someone to fall for it and uh, they put a little plan together, everyone who was involved in the conspiracy to uh, murder Detective Drury and um, and they said, well, why don't we get rid of Abba? Uh, that was Christopher Dale Flannery's wife and Flannery and Nettie Smith and a detective called Detective John Anderson, who's now deceased. Uh, I don't know the other copper who was there, but I know even if you watch uh, Roger Rogerson, he's got a DVD called The Life and Times of Roger Rogerson. He says on that, I sent Detective Anderson down to Flannery's place to talk to him about 
getting someone to fall for the for the for the gangland murders and the shooting of Michael Drury. So I was going to be the scapegoat. Now I know that that's true because someone who was there told me straight after it. And so I went down to the safe to get me money out of out of a safe that I had in the hotel, the Star Hotel at Alexandria. Used to keep a lot of money there and we'd keep guns and all sorts of things in there and I went in there and uh, I said to old Joe, the, the barman, I said, uh, mate, go and get me money out of the safe. Well, he said, um, oh, someone picked it up yesterday, mate, you know, and I said, well, what do you mean someone picked it up? He said, oh, I need sent down, you know, this bloke, Fingers, who was one of the blokes in the gang, and I said, oh, did he? He said, yeah, he said he told us to pick it up. I said, well, right, I'm going up to see him. So I marched on up the back. So I thought I won't go around the front of his place, I'll go up the the back stairs to his girlfriend's place in Pitt Street and it was Michelle and uh, I went around underneath and as I was walking underneath it was pitch black under the garage and I remember looking at this utility that was there and I said, well, that's one of the gangs. And I said to myself, I've always had this awareness, you know, this psychic ability and I just said, I'm going in that. I just knew straight away. You had a feeling. You know, so I had a gun down the back of my pants and, as I got up and I knocked on the door, come up the back way, knocked on the door and Ned's girlfriend opened the doors and give me the eyes like this, you know, warning eyes. Well, I already knew and I walked in and uh, it was Kathy Flannery, Chris Flannery. He was sitting there, he had his arm right beside him with a pillow. Well, I'm, you know, I, I mightn't be the sharpest tool in the shed sometimes, you think, but I knew exactly what was going on. I've... There was there's an old saying, you've got to know how to read a room. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you walk in, you watch the movement, you see. So all of a sudden Ned and three blokes in my gang all took off out the door. Well, I knew that Ned's girlfriend would never let just anyone be in the flat, you know, on their own. Yeah. She was real fastidious and tidy. and So the next minute she said, I'm going too. So I walked out in the kitchen where she was. She said, look. You know, like that. And I said, all right. So I walked back down. And as I walked around the front of him, I I said, um, oh, where'd your big mate go? He said, oh, where, how would I fucking know? Well, by the time he started talking, he started talking with his hand. I pounced on him, you know. And then I just pulled my gun out and stuck it in his head. And I said, what's going on, you effing dogs? And, you know, went right off my head. Next minute there's a knock on the door. And here I am on top of him on the lounge. Well, he, he was gone. He, he was dead, you know. And next minute the door opened and uh, this girlfriend came in of the girl who owned the flat and uh, she just went, fuck. So I, I couldn't do anything then, otherwise I would have had to have shot her and I don't go around shooting women. So I had to walk out of the flat. So that was just one of the attempts. There was four attempts by that gang. Uh, all, uh, all over, I've had 20 attempts on my life. Wow. Up until 2006 when I wrote my book, A Treacherous Life, I'd had 14 and I had six after that. Wow. I, I, they got that bad that they got the Mark Stanton, who's now serving Tom, who was the, with the assistant commissioner with the uh, Crime Commission. He uh, got with the informer who was trying to murder me, who I called the clone in my book. And uh, he, he got with him and they in turn tried to knock me off. So in, in the end they couldn't get me. They, they couldn't understand how they couldn't get me but I just kept getting them all the time, you know, trapping them and, and then I started to chase them and then they sent Rogerson to see me and they said, um, well, we're waving the white flag. He said, uh, we're even, you know, you had a go at me. I chased him through Moore Park with a shotgun and, and uh, he said, oh, we're even. I said, oh, no, we're not fucking even. We'll be even when it's over, mate. You know? So that was the end of that. So the next minute they they got a massive big team together when he when he got the green light off the uh, off Mark Stanton. And uh, he got a massive team of ten people to come to my house Thursday night before Good Friday 2004 it was. 
Ten of them came to my house. Turned out to be a good Friday for you, a bad one for them. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it could have been a, a, a bad night all around, I'll tell you. But I, I saw them, so I just walked straight out the front of the house and there was no light out the front of my house. And the only, my wife was out in my Mercedes at the time and it was bulletproof, my car, you know. She was out in the car and it was a Thursday night and they probably thought, well, he's out, well, wait, as soon as the car comes in the driveway... We'll run in and we'll get him in the driveway. So I'm sure that was their plan because they were all planted all around the houses all around me. So as I uh, I got there, I said to my daughter, I said, look, come up here. So I got up and I had a double-storey house and I'd had one of those big windows that sort of go out on a like a little spare room. And I said, uh, look, I want you to go downstairs and just get me cricket bag. I said, your cricket bag? I said, yeah, go get my cricket bag. <laughs> Uh, she run downstairs, comes out with a, what's in that, Dad? And I'm done. Can I put your pads yeah, on? Come the bang. <laughs> in went all the magazines and the guns are all over the bed. And um, and I said, you just sit down in the corner there. She went, oh, Dad, I'm horrified. You know? <laughs> and I said, just sit in the corner. And I said, if they come into the house, then they're gone. If they come in the front yard, they're gone, you know. So I got up the top and waited and waited and waited Anyway, I pulled off a little trick. I, I won't say what I did because otherwise, you know, they'll know what I did. But yeah. um, in the end they just took off, you know. But that was the last attempt I had, you know. That, but the thing that made me laugh, I think, the guess, out of all the attempts that they've had on me life, and, I, you know, I've been shot in the leg, I've been shot in the head by the police, I've been stabbed, I've been, you know, all the attempts that I've had on me life, I'm, I'm still breathing and... It cost them a fortune to get rid of me and I'm still here. <laughs> the last man standing. <laughs> um, Graeme, you've, you've described yourself as a seer. You have a belief yeah, in this yeah. sort of, uh, you know, the supernatural almost and your ability to oh, see into the future or get I'm, signs from the future. Where I'm, do you think? I'm definitely, I've got that. I've got that off my mother's side and my younger daughter has it also. She actually, Is that what's kept you alive, you think? Oh, 100%. You know, it's just an, it's a, it's an awareness with me but I've got more than awareness. I mean, I've seen... Look, mate, if I told you some of the things that happened in my life over things like that, you'd people would sit there and go, oh, what a freaking liar. <laughs> but I'm look, mate, I've had one night when these people were hanging around me trying to get me everywhere I walked, they'd try and follow me and then I'd change it, you know, three days later and go another way and throw them out of gear. So, yeah. you know, they could never get me set. So... And I was always armed up and anyway, I was sitting in the house there this night and my, my, uh, this little Jack Russell dog and he started going around the light with his, with his, you know, barking up in the light like a lunatic, like chasing something around in a circle. And straight away I got up because I know and I said, that's a warning. I said, you all stay in here. I went out the front and I was standing there and... A bloke had come to visit me. He came out with me. I said, look, just do me a favour, go in the house and go and get me gun. He said, all right. So he, he ran in the house and come out. And as he came out, I pulled a Holden Commodore and two blokes got out, pulled on the balaclavas. Or well, one bloke actually got out, the other bloke stayed in the car. And so I squatted down behind this tree and I said, I'll wait till they come right up to me and I'll just pounce them straight out the front of the house. Right? So... So as I'm sitting there, out comes my dog and <coughs> runs between my legs. So I pulled him by the back of the legs and pulled him back in to me, you know. Well, they saw me. They saw me do it, you know. So next minute they jump out of the car, so I just emptied it into the car. Well, he, as he went down the hill, he went over a, a little embankment on the front. There was a house that was down a lower level and he went over it and he scarred the skid and I thought, I've got him. And I'm bolting down the hill to get him and then he just caught traction and, and got out of the place, you know. But, you know, you could see all the neighbours driving past my house all the time looking, going, a lot of noise comes out of that house. Wow. <laughs> you know. Graham, one of the defining moments in your life was 1988, um, Malcolm Spence, yeah. the Lord Wolseley Hotel. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it was a, uh, I'd been out, it was just uh, before Christmas and I was gone out with a couple of police that I had on side with, uh, with my gang that uh, all I ever did was pay. I never had ever given them information and he ever paid them money. I went and had lunch with them and uh, at the Epping Hotel actually 
And as I was there, they said to me, oh, look, you know, Malcolm's been running around shooting. Malcolm run around, uh, he was part of the whole organised crime network that we had. Now, you know, when I talk about organised crime, I'll just go off the subject just for a sec. When you, when you talk about organised crime, like people talk about today, uh, there's no organised crime today. There's people that organise crimes. But to have organised crime, you've got to have police, prosecutors, magistrates, judges. That's a whole network of them. It's like a giant octopus, you know. Yeah. And it's that's what we had. You know, the McPherson gang had it. Mickle's gang had it. No other gang in Australia's ever had it. Mm. Ever, you know, go, well, we could commit every crime going and, and get away with it. Yeah. You know, didn't mean we had all the police on site, but we could always get out of trouble mm. somehow, lessen the sentence. You know, we had ministers from politicians on side, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, some people had the premier of the state on side. Yeah. No, that, that's corruption. That's organised crime, you know. And now they've got the poor bikies running around and they've put them on the organised crime gangs and... You know, there's probably 15 of them that run around doing things and, you know, the rest just want to be bikies. Yeah. You know, and, but, you know, unfortunately uh, they're the blokes, you know, and then you had the Middle Eastern crime run around with Mook written all over them and, mm. you know, a- advertising who they were and, and the Brothers for Life and, and the, you know, like no one had names. Yeah. We, we were just who we were and we did what we did and, you know, but then, you know, it just started changing. They started spraying up houses and carrying on them. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to Malcolm Spence, Malcolm actually ran around and someone had written a letter to the Internal Affairs Police and said that he was driving a stolen Mercedes that was supplied to him by the Mickle Hurley gang because they had control over the wharves and this car had come off there. Well, the car was too old to have come off the wharves, you know, it wasn't a brand new Mercedes or anything, it was just an older style. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was a rumour going around. So he went on a fishing expedition trying to find out who it was. So being half pissed down the Captain Cook Hotel one afternoon, he said, uh, I want to have a word to you. So he said, oh, we'll go over the pub at Piermont. So we went over the Pacific Hotel at Piermont, I drove him up. And when he got there, he said, um, you get me up to the internal affairs police. And he took his teeth out of his head. I said, the first mistake you've done, mate. Yeah. Put them back in your mouth or I bust your jaw. And I said, and I'll tell you now, I bust your jaw. Right? No, I said, that's the lowest thing anyone's ever said to me. You know 100% I've never been a dog in my life. And I said, so a dog man, a police informer. Mm. And I said, so I would never, ever do that against you. I said, so I'm going to leave you with it while you're pissed. I said, have a think about it over the night. If you still want to carry on with the marble, I'll see you tomorrow. So anyway, nothing was said for a couple of weeks and then I went to this turnout and the copper <laughs> said, keep away from him, you know. And I said, oh, well, I heard he's been running around saying that I shit myself when he had a put it on me, yeah. you know, in the pub. And I said, uh, so I brooded on it, you know, and then I thought, no one calls me that and gets away with it. I thought... I'll go and teach him the lesson. So I drove down past the Lord Woolsey Hotel and here he is, you know, with all his mates and uh, I walked in and said, come outside, I want to have a talk to you. He said, oh, I'm the talking shop tonight. I said, well, you, you will be tonight, come on, outside. So I walked outside and the silly goose followed me. He walked out in the laneway, there was not a light inside, I just went bang, hit him with the left hook and dropped him, right? So yeah. I didn't hit him as hard as I wanted to. I just did him enough so he'd get up and have a go. That's all I wanted him to do, have a go at me. And he said, oh, I'm sorry about all that stuff. I was wrong and, you know, started doing a sook and I just lost it then. Yeah. And then out came the the uh, air conditioner out of my pocket and uh, I put a hole in his stomach and a hole in his throat. And uh, so I got eight years for it. So he, he told the police that I actually uh, went there to kill him on behalf of Ned Smith. And that, uh, you know, I wasn't going to kill him for Ned Smith. He can kill his own people. I'll mm. kill, kill my own. He can kill his. But uh, of which he never did. But uh, that and, didn't. And of that sentence, you did two and a half years or so in solitary. Is that? Two and a half years I did in solitary confinement. Mate, I'll tell you what, that, that's when the hair on the top of my head fell out. And uh, it went white. 
you know, just through the stress of the place too. Like, you know, and I was under a lot of pressure too then with all the ICAC <coughs> investigations and… Uh, How do you fill your days? Like, well, you mate, all, all I did was meditate and train all day. I'd just, uh, you know, do push-ups and walk around the… I had a cage at the back of me uh, cell. I'd just walk around the cage, hour that way, hour that way, come back in, do some push-ups, do some chin-ups, do some, you know. <laughs> For two and a half That years. was it, shadow spar, mm. you know, carry on. And and then med- meditate or play that, the guitar. That's or mentally tough. Yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. 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 yeah, you've got to go yeah. through a certain process because a lot of people neck themselves. I can tell you. Did you you'd know? spend a lot of time thinking about everything that's gone before, wouldn't you? Did you think about? Did you spend time thinking about your childhood and your dad and, no. and everything else? Or? No, 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 no. Look, I, I always put the past in the past. You know, I always that's say to, to blokes when I see them. You know, some of my friends and they go, "Oh, you know, good." Sexually molested when I was a kid, you know, it was a horrible thing. And I said, well, you know, same thing happened to me, mate, but it happened yesterday. Get over it, move on, mate. You know, uh, you know, whatever you do yeah, in your I life. Yeah, I know a lot just... of people say that and some people are as tough as you. But I, I found out later on in my life because I've met some people who have also been through that stuff and not everybody can handle it the way you can, mate. No. I mean, I just listen to your story now. You're yeah. a pretty amazing individual to, you know, to – I've gone through that, but like I said, um, I was very much similar to you, Graham. I used to say to a lot of my friends, "Ah, come on, you know," because that's how I feel. Yeah. But now uh, we, you've got to, we've got to change. You've got to try to help those guys and win that. Yeah, I understand you know. that. But what I always say to them is, "You're the master of your own mind. Mm-hmm. You're the only one who thinks within it." You know what I mean? So if you want to think on the things that happen here, then it's going to ruin you. If, you know, if you want to think about horrible things, nothing good that ever going to come good. You know. What do you give out to get back? So got to keep your head in a different spot. You know, I mean, sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes I wake up in the morning uh, brooding about, um, you know, some of the people in me past, you know, when I, I, then I go, nope, it's got to go. Yeah, you know? some people can do it, some people can't. But no, 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 unfortunately they can't. Do you have any regrets, Graham? Uh, only stabbing the prosecutor, mate. No, I don't have any regrets at all about anything I've done in my life, mate. You know, I've wounded them, I've shot them, I've stabbed them. I've, I did what I had to do in that life. Uh, I believe everyone's got a role in their life. I believe I was supposed to travel down the road I travelled down. And, uh, you know, I had plenty of talents. I could sing, I could, you know. Uh, Your daughter's know. a great singer. Yeah, yeah, it runs, runs in the family. Talented lady, you know? young lady. Uh, and I could box also, but I, I, I got lazy with the boxing, you know. I got lazy with it. I didn't. I didn't have enough discipline in myself then, you know, to go yeah. on with it until I got with Giometti over at North Sydney and Bobby well, Road. I can guarantee you're making much more money than then than you would have been boxing. Oh, mate. well, I knew that. And that's <laughs> what I used to think. I used to think, mate, you get $49 for fighting four rounds at Maryville, Harrisville. What, what do you reckon? Well, I can in jump t- over a camera and get 80000 What do you <laughs> think you turned over in your criminal career? How? Oh, well, mate, I know that uh, me and Ned sat down one day just counting over the 10 years I knocked around with him. Uh, we would have turned over a hundred million. Wow! And uh, you've got to remember, where did, out of that, where did it all end up? But, but out of that hundred million, you've got to remember, money's going into things that sometimes don't come off. Money's going to other members of the gang, like we had ten in the gang. And uh, you know, you paint, you're slinging coppers, you're slinging magistrates, prosecutors, and, and you've lived a great life. Didn't and you? yeah, yeah, yeah there was times where money. we had good times. Of course, yeah, we I had remember good times, being a you know. young boy growing up. Some I mean, of the, I love the, the bloke. Stories. We were the best of mates until he turned on me, you know. But um, mm. how yeah. do you feel about him now? He's um, he's in prison for the rest of his life, and it doesn't seem that that's yeah. going to be very long. Um, how will you feel when he passes away? Uh, I won't feel any, any different uh, anything towards him. Look, I feel sorry for the bloke that he's sitting in there doing two life sentences. I mean, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, you know. And you know, look, even though. He was behind, you know, say four attempts on my life out of the 20 I've had on me. Uh, he was only behind him. He was never the one ever going to pull the trigger on you. That through through um, uh, running around with him because when it come down to the crunch of, um, you know, of uh, shooting anyone, uh, it was the gang that shot him, not him, you know. All, as I said, his job was to get the police fight. That's all his job was. A lot of people would know your story through Blue Murder, the series, um, yeah. you're not particularly happy with the way that your nah. character was portrayed nah, in that nah. or, or the situation in itself. What What are your complaints with it? Oh, just everything. 
Yeah. Everything about it was just a lie. I mean, um, you know, it was just um, supposed to be a documentary uh, on the life and times of all that era and, um, you know, I mean, they got us sitting down there. I get pinched for these drugs in uh, North Sydney that I was set up for and uh, and they planted a gun on me, shot me in the head and um, and uh, the pellets all went through my head. I still got one stuck in my eye and um, only because of that awareness in me that I'm... I survived it and uh, the word was kill me on sight at, um, I forget exactly what the question was. Blue murder. Well, yeah, yeah. What, were your, what were your issues with the way yeah, that it was portrayed? Yeah, all, all of that. So after that scene, in that blue murder, you see him sitting down, Ned and Roger sitting together and Ned, and Roger says, don't worry about it, we'll get another kilo from We never got any drugs off the police. Yeah. Right. You know, now Rogerson never, I've never paid Roger Rogerson one single dollar in my entire life, you know. I've never ever seen him take money. I know he took it off Ned, right, but he ne- I've never seen him. I actually offered him 10000 one day in the, in, the, in the toilets at the Stagecoach Hotel, a Stagecoach restaurant, to try and get him aside over something and he said, stick it up your ass. He didn't want the money and that was a true story. Now, it was the same thing that the... The, uh, the whole of the ICAC was about was corruption and they kept pushing me, pushing me. That's why they held me in solitary for so long. Yeah, right. I can't ever tell us. You must have seen Give the police something. get paid. I said, never seen them be paid for my life. They said, well, they, they, they just couldn't believe me. I said, they don't tell me. I said, no. Ned kept on doing himself. He was jealous. You know, of course that was a lie. I was telling porkies. I was just protecting me, gang myself and the police. So yeah. What's the main thing in the yeah. show that you're not happy with that um, that you what, what oh, they well, said someone mate, did something mate, the, that the whole uh, the, the scenes, some of the scenes, the fights we had, uh, the the fights were true, but um, uh, the fights were uh, not portrayed in the right. Uh, we, when, when we fought all these bikies in the pub at the Broadway, they were the South South Sydney footballers. Right. For a start, uh, you know, that poor little Lily Tugger Carmen and all them. It was a two-up <laughs> game and there was Buddy Kane and all them who played for West <laughs> and a big crew of them. And Buddy Kane shaped up behind Ned's back in the pub in the mirror and uh, Ned turned around left hooked him and it was on, you know. So uh, next when I realised there was too many of them, so I ran out and got the bat, the equaliser, and come back in and just started <laughs> whacking them, so... You know, so they all took off. So I remember Buddy Kane yelling out that night, God's on my side. And I said, not tonight, son, whack. <laughs> and he went. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but uh, you know, I mean, we can look back now and laugh about it. But, you know, some people probably think we've got a sick mind even having a laugh about it. But and that's the way things were, you know. And people didn't run to the police. Oh, I've just got a soldier door, you know. But look, well, they weren't you stupid. Know, you're going to the police, and the police are going to come. And you're going to you're going to get billed again. No, well, you're going to, or more, or worse. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So, you know, so and uh, I, think, I, I think honestly, I do I do believe people knew back in that era that how um, how dangerous it was to you know, go and say Graham or Nettie done this or done that. It was it was yeah, it was it was, it was, it was, it was you were committing suicide if you done it. Yeah, it was pretty common knowledge on the street, though. You know, no, not to do the wrong thing. You know, so, I mean, as I say, there was only two forces on the street and that was, you know, L- Lenny McPherson's gang. But that by the time we started to grow, they, they'd broken apart. You know, they, the gambling days were over, the brothels had all been made legal, casinos were all shutting down. So, you know, it, went, it went from, like, illegal gambling and stuff to drugs? Straight into the yeah, drugs, yeah. the armed robberies, the, you know, and, um, you know, and each supported the other. Are you, you know, yeah. are you okay with the fact that you were involved in the heroin trade in Australia? Is that? No, I didn't ever really say that I could ever enjoyed it, um, you know. But you got to understand this that you know, well, it's demand and supply. If someone doesn't want something, we're not going to supply it, you know. So if it can't, if that's the thing of the day, which it was, uh, then that's what we sold. That's where the money was. You could cut it four times. You could make a fortune out of it in those days. You know, and it, it became easy. And today, you know, there's so many people just doing it. Every town's got a crew that all sell it. You know, because it's an easy, easy way to earn, earn a living. Well, but, the, de- um, the demand now is 
But the it, supply of ice, would you, if you were oh, around no, now, no, would you? I, I tell you now, now, if I, if I had anything to do with, you know, I was still involved in organised crime, uh, anyone who sold ice in my crew would be dealt with severely. And why is that? Well, because I've, se- I've, seen, I've seen the devastation of it, you know. I mean, look, when I look back on the heroin users, the heroin users are just, you know, they'd not off in the corner and they'd, they'd just go in their own dream world, you know, where you, you got these... Um, kids that are on this stuff today and they're grinding their teeth and they're angry, they're, you know, they've got three times their normal strength, you know, when they're full of it, they're, you know, yeah. it's a bad drug, mate. I've seen blood. For me. They've bashed uh, their mothers. Kid was heroin. It's, it's, I'm, I've, I've known people who've done heroin and cocaine have robbed their family and yes. them with nothing. So I don't know. I'm just, yeah. I'm one of those real anti-drug guys and, yeah, I mean, look oh. at you know. I don't, and I don't blame you, and I would be too. But you know, I lived a different life, uh, Jeff. You know, and and uh, you, you know, and I couldn't turn around in my gang and say, yeah, I know. Even though I didn't like doing it, uh, I'm not going to sell that. Yeah, because I would have had a hole in the back of my head that yeah. afternoon. You know what I mean? So, um, what whatever was the go was the go. There were some things that I'd pull out of. You know, look, especially with Ned. Ned was. Insanely jealous of blokes. If they were earning big money, he'd make up some excuse why they had to get shot. I used to ring them up, ring up the people, you know, and say, when you're coming in, bring your family tonight, you know what I mean? So I'd protect them. Yeah. You know, because he'd want to cheat them, he'd make up stories about them just to take their money off them. And, you know, um, the, that's the way he was, you know, he was just, um, I don't know what I was with him. And yet he, the bloke had so much charisma. You know, he he was great company. He was, you know, he had everything going for him, and yet he just had this little rotten, treacherous side to his nature, which was a real pity. Were you surprised yeah. when Roger Rogerson um, found himself back in strife again most recently, and now is is back inside, given his past and you know how old he was, and well, or is it just in his nature? Do you think? Jeez, it's a hard question. That's an easy question, mate. Just mate, look, <laughs> in all honesty, you know, once he was a policeman, he could do what he liked. You know, once he came out of that force, he still thought he could do what he liked. Look, Roger was this way. Roger looked after Roger. Roger worked for the police, against the police. He's given information on the side. Letters have been handed up of comfort on behalf of him that no one even knows about. Everyone thinks he was this solid as a rock copper that never hurt anyone, wouldn't roll on anyone. He give up coppers for murders, you know. He set them up, I hear. Yeah, yeah he set them all up. Met them in Berenba Prison, found out where they were buried, took the police to where they were buried. He d- he's done all sorts of tricks. He's worked for the crims, against the crims. He's always running around with people. He'd be pretending he's friends, you know. I know that, you know, Johnny, young John up the cross, you know, he likes him. You know, he'll get up there, he'd just be sucking his brain, trust me. That's what he does. He's good at it. And that information need be used and somewhere along the line to, to feather his own nest somewhere along the line. That's how he operated. So I, I wasn't really surprised at all when he got caught. Uh, but what I was surprised about, that here he was running around with this known police informer, that McNamara, who'd already rolled on all the police up King's Cross, had... had given up that many police over the years and here he was running around with them and they're playing and this sort of a deal, you know. I mean, I don't really think that's the truth behind it. I think there's more behind it. I think the the whole thing was a whole planned and We should get the police thing. force to employ you, my boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, along those lines. I'm pretty sure I know the full truth to it. Well, well, along those lines, you're under a fair degree of protection given um, what's happened with the ICAC. Is there anything that people don't know that people perhaps should um, that you do that you're allowed to say now? Oh, well, anything I have said, I've said in my book that, you know, uh, you know, I did certain robberies. I was able to get away with certain robberies. Of course, I've never nodded my head to everything I've done. Uh, the only reason that I even mentioned anything like that in the ICAC was to protect all my gang and myself. And remember, this was a police corruption inquiry. It had nothing to do with criminals. But they said, you've got to name, nominate criminals. And I said, all right, I did them with Christopher Dale Flannery and Laurie Johnson. He said, they're dead. But they're both dead. And I went, mm. that's what happens in their life. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Where Ned 
went the other way and went, he did that, he did that. Or when they wouldn't give him any time off and he went to the National Crime Authority, then he rolled on Roger, he rolled on some of his best friends over murders. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's what he did. They still wouldn't let him out. Do you know so, who killed Christopher Dale Flannery? No. Ben no, Damon. <laughs> you, can, you can always tell when it's. You can, you can always tell when it wasn't a big crew. Yeah, because, right. Because it's very quiet. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I mean, I had, as I said at the uh, the inquiry into uh, his death. Um, you know, I said, look, he had more enemies than a, a snake. You know what I mean? Uh, he tried to kill me, so I I had the a good enough reason to. To put one in him myself, but uh, you know the same as I did with Ned, and I tried to get Ned, and the police saved him. You know, and I, and I wrote about that in my book. I waited for him at the Roselle, the Three Weeds Hotel. I laid down in the garden opposite. I knew he'd walk out, hop into the passenger side seat, and his girlfriend would drive the car. I said he's got to go because they've been trying to knock me. So time to square up. So I laid down and waited for him. Heard him walk out. Looked across the road. I laid down the garden, the gun on my chest. Someone waiting down the road for me. The door opened. I was just about to sit up and next minute the bullwagon pulled up on the corner about 20 feet away from me and they yelled out, Hey, Ned, you going to the new club down the street? It just opened up in Balmain near the old Cricketers Arms Hotel, which is now the Monkey Bar. I said, Oh, Jesus. I just rolled over because I just Everything keep... happens for a reason. Mostly yeah, that's right. Yeah, mostly you know, good. that's exactly right. You know, so I roll over it's and blessing just, for you. You know, so it didn't occur. So, you know. Are you glad that in hindsight, are you glad that you didn't go through or you weren't able to go through with that or? It's debatable. 50-50. <laughs> How many people have you shot? Um, I've wounded a few. <laughs> Um, your book, we should give a plug to. I think you can still buy it online. Um, is that correct? Yeah, you can buy it online. But uh, I've just uh, finished. Uh, well, what, what I've done, I've made the old one, and I've uh, added some new chapters to it. Yep. And uh, the covers all been changed. It's, it's called the Last Man Standing. Uh, the reason I've, I am still in the process of writing one because a bloke wanted to do a, a big movie on me. And uh, that's still in progress, except all this COVID has shut everything down over in Western Australia, the, the main people behind all this. So um, I've uh, had to, um, everything's been on hold up until then. But um, yes, it's certainly been a most exciting life. And uh, would I change it when I look back? Uh, just some certain elements of it, you know, as I say, that stabbing of the prosecutor. But look, I lived the life, I enjoyed the life. People ask me all the time, do you miss the life? You bet I think I do. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the streets these days? You touched on it before, but what do you think the big difference is? Mate, uh, just that, that whole organisational skill, you know, that like blokes in my day were all, you know, you had to have one bloke who was a genius at breaking combinations. So, Graeme, if, if your crew, if your crew were around today yeah. and, and what's happening... In the world today was happening. What? What? Well, we'd have a bigger crew for a start because you'd have to have a big crew today because you know the people who run around today numbers. and gangs they've got big numbers. And nowadays we didn't need them because we had such strong, strong help from law enforcement and 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 every bit of help that you needed in the. You know, I mean, if you got into trouble for uh, drink driving or something. You know, we'd go and front the prosecutor who was fronting and just say, look, he's been pinched on it three times before, but wipe that clean, will you? This is his first offence. So, you know, it would cost you X amount and we'd give him half and we'd keep half and that's how we survived, you know. So we looked after everyone and, you know, so everyone always came to us and that's how, that's how we survived. Like people coming to us, bringing us stuff. What about this job? There's a job here, there's a job there, you know. Yeah. So... Well, we, we we lived off that network. But in, in saying, you know, today that it'd be too much, especially the days when they're all running around spraying up everyone's house, which was the most ridiculous thing that ever happened in this country. And uh, 
that was probably the worst I've ever seen this state. I mean, thank God it's all been shut down and they've closed it all down now. But, you know, it started, you know, with with ethnic groups, not, um, you know, Australians. So that, that was a no-go. Your home was your safe zone. You know what I mean? You weren't to come into that person's home or pop them if they had kids or if they had, didn't have kids or it was a different ball game. You know what I mean? But, you know, oh, you'd wait for them to put the bin in. out and throw them in the bin and wheel them away. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's how it happened in those days. These days they'd just drive past your house and spray it up and, and carry on like lunatics and, you know, they'll end up killing little kids and, you know, so thank God it's been pulled to a stop because it was a, you know, I thought it was a cowardly act, you know, just drive-bys. I thought they were ridiculous. That's what the Americans did and that's what unfortunately is the go. When uh, we were younger blokes and Sharpies and all that that Mark Burroughs was talking about. And Joe Mulroney. Yeah. Yeah, like we were all Sharpies. So in those days we followed the English because that's where we originated all from, most of it. And, you know... Today they all follow the Yanks. So now they've all got this silly gang culture and this strut and this colours and the hats. Yeah. And the, let's spin the hat this way and <clears throat> walk like this and have this colour, you know, flag hanging off us. And, you know, they give themselves away who they are. I mean, they just, I don't know, that's just, I think they're pretty ordinary. It's not smarter. No, that's not clever. You were sm- you know. smart guys. Well, you know, you had to do a lot of thinking. You know, you planned everything like a commando. That's what we did. You know, you planned everything. Look, I'm not saying there's blokes today that aren't clever at what they do. They are. It's just today the poor blokes are under a lot of pressure. They've got cameras everywhere. They've got, you know, yeah. these security screens. They've got all, all of these some things today. Some great security screens. We've got some know, great some ones. Some great yeah. ones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, but there's what, are, what are the best ones, Paul? Amplimesh. Amplimesh, of course. Yeah, yeah they – you. Pretty safe at home if you've got that in the front door, mate. Well, I'm, mate I'm, I'm just getting it done. They're in all house over mine, eh? They won't yeah. come into mine. <laughs> you know, if they do, they'll get a terrible shock. <laughs> we, 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 we've put the ample mesh on yours to keep you in, Graham. We've put the ample mesh on yours to keep you in so you can't get out, mate. We've fooled you, mate. <laughs> on that note, Graham, mate, so great to have you here with us. So great to listen to your stories. Pleasure, Thank mate. you so much. Yeah, thanks, no worries, mate. Thank Thanks, you, mate. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We appreciate it. On your boys. Don't forget to subscribe, Standing 8, YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify.